This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Okay, a sad episode of Waving the Wheat coming your way. Welcome back. How's it going? This was either going to be the saddest episode or the happiest episode with about 30 seconds left to go in the game. College football is the best. It is amazing. There is nothing like it. You cannot duplicate it. The NFL is bigger. It is more popular. But college football is the best. No other game can give you what Kansas and Arkansas gave you in the Liberty Bowl on Wednesday. First off, before we get into that game, how awesome was just the entire buildup to it? Now, I know for people who made it down there, which a lot of people made it down there, it was a pain in the ass with all of the travel issues. And even before that, like I talked to a lot of friends who were going to drive the whole time just because... Memphis, not the easiest place to get to from the Kansas City area if you're trying to fly. And then flight prices were insane. But still seeing like the the videos and the photos from Tuesday night and Wednesday morning of people on Beale Street and the tailgates, it was uh, pretty cool. It's funny because these, these are the bowl games that nobody cares about, right? Like that's why Missouri didn't want to play in it because, hey, if we're not going to play in a game that anybody gives a shit about, then let's just go play in the Gasparilla Bowl and then everybody can be done before Christmas, which, you know, congratulations on your basketball win against Kentucky. I remember uh, my first time beating a, a top 20 team, but no, kudos to them. It's cool to care sometimes, you know, like not caring is the most high school shit ever. Like the stupid jock. It's like Channing Tatum in 21 Jump Street. When did not giving a shit about your team become like the cool thing. Like, oh, you guys care about the the Memphis Bull? You guys care about the AutoZone Liberty Bull? Really? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for caring that my team had a good season. I'm sorry for caring that my, my team's football program went to a bowl game for the first time since 2008 when I was in high school. Yeah, it feels pretty good. And it's cool as a Kansas fan to go on social media or to get the pictures from friends and just seeing the crimson and blue flood Beale Street and, and pack that stadium. Like It's not a destination bowl going to Memphis on December 28th, but it's the bowl that you got invited to. And it's still okay to care about that and to make it a big deal. And don't let anybody try to diminish that for you just because they may be playing in a bigger bowl or they've played in more bowls. Yeah, it's Kansas, okay? We're, we're, we're very self-aware fans. Nobody at Kansas is trying to mask the fact that they have been an absolute bottom dweller for the last 13 years. There's no hiding it. 
You can't make fun of us for the stuff that we make fun of ourselves for. So I thought that was the coolest shit. See, you know, seeing the Instagram stories of people loading up the cars and making the drive to Memphis. And if you're driving back right now, appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll do our best to have a, uh, a full encapsulation of what was undoubtedly the most entertaining football game that I've watched all year long. That was four and a half hours of football, and the final 30 minutes were the only time where it felt like it was a competitive game. It was four hours of one team fully dominating the other, and then 30 minutes of the most exciting sporting event that you could possibly get. Like, other than the World Cup final, that's as good as it gets. And I know in the immediate aftermath, it is disappointing, especially for all of you who drove down to Memphis because you get treated to this great game and then you walk out of the stadium with this sour taste in your mouth. And I, I hate the guy immediately after like a, a crushing loss. He's like, well, no, it's okay. Like, no, everything's good. Let's not be... No, like, that's not how sports work. Like, you're allowed to be a little upset and angry afterwards. Otherwise, what's the point of any of this? Right? If none of it feels bad, then can any of it feel good? So it's okay to be upset or angry or frustrated with the fact that KU lost. But that game was fucking incredible. KU loses to Arkansas 55-53, to and they were being dominated for not three and a half quarters, like three and seven-eighths quarters. It was a domination, really from the, the second offensive drive for KU on. It was weird because Arkansas gets the ball, they move right down the field, and KU held them to a field goal. And you kind of felt like that was going to be big, because coming into the game... You knew that both these teams, or you thought that both these teams were going to be able to move the ball. Arkansas lost so much with guys sitting out. Defensively, you felt like they were going to have a tough time stopping Kansas. Meanwhile, Kansas just hasn't been a good defense all year long, so you figure they're going to have a hard time stopping anyone. But even though they felt like a click off, KU's able to march right down. You get sort of the broken play. Touchdown. KU leads at 7-3. They actually forced another punt on the next drive, at which point you wondered, is this going to be where KU really starts to put it on him? Because I'll be honest with you, I was very bullish on KU coming into this game. I thought they were going to win outright. I thought that Vegas had it wrong. KU should have been a pick if not a one- or two-point favorite. KU punts it three and out, second drive of the game, and that's when the route began, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And what I I never envisioned, right? Because I thought Arkansas would be able to move the ball. I thought they would be able to score points. What I never envisioned was that the offense would look that bad. That they would have such a tough time running the football. That Jalen would miss the throws that he's made all year. Because that's exactly what happened. And it may not... Like, if you go back and watch the game, which I haven't done. I've only watched it once, right? This is right after the game ended. If you go back and watch the game... It's probably not as many missed throws as it felt like. It's just that all of the missed throws that Jalen had felt like they were in really big spots. And I'm just talking about the first half here because I know he was great to end the game. But in the first half, it felt like there were eight of them, right? When in reality, there were probably only three, maybe four. 
but they were in crucial gotta-have-it situations where that's the difference between you moving the chains, going down the field and scoring, versus coming up with nothing. And that's what happened time and time again. Arkansas takes the lead 10-7. to Then they're up by 10. You still feel like this game is within, you know, an arm's length. Then it's 24-7, to and you say, okay, this is getting out of hand. And when it really felt rough was when they scored that touchdown at the end of the half, 31-7. to KU actually was able to get more points on the board to make it 31-13, but at that point, you felt like it was just... College football is weird, and that's why it's so great. College football, if this were the NFL and one team's up 31-13, the game is over. The game is over. You're not coming back from that. Teams will sit on the ball. They will put you to sleep. But in college, with the way that the clock works, there is more leeway. And it's just college. Like, weird shit happens all the time, and teams come back from large deficits. How many times, I got a question for you, how many times did you feel like the game was over? How many different times did you did you turn to the person you were watching the game with and saying, uh, this is over. Like, it's over. What the hell are they doing? What the? Because the first time I said it was the first touchdown of the second half by Arkansas. KU got the ball. I think they got one first down. Arkansas gets it back, marches right down the field, 80 yards, points, 38-13, game over. That was the first time I thought it was over. So anything that happened after that felt inconsequential. Because this was not a slow build, like a nice natural progression from KU being down big to getting back. In. They didn't claw their way back into the game. They scored one touchdown. It was a five-play, 86-yard drive. It was 38-20, and that was the score, really, for the remainder of the game. But what quietly happened in the background was KU's defense kept getting stops. Now, I think if you go back and watch the game, you might say that Arkansas left their foot off the pedal a little bit, which is true, right? There were, if you just score one more, one more time, the game is over. But also, that 18-point lead as the game moves on, it gets bigger. An 18-point lead halfway through the third isn't the same as an 18-point lead halfway through the fourth. It, with five and change to go, you're up 18. That feels pretty good. But then KU kicks the field goal, right? They had to settle for three, which at that point you couldn't really argue with. It made a little bit of sense just because you needed to get three scores. But the pooch punt before that, it kind of felt like the, the, the opportunities were there. KU couldn't capitalize on them. But when it really felt over, when it was over, was when KU goes for it fourth down deep in Arkansas territory. Ball gets batted at the line of scrimmage. Boom, Arkansas gets the ball back with, I think, three and a half to go. Up 15, it is over. It is over. No matter what they do, they're going to be able to run in enough plays to bleed enough clock and in the game. And then they take the kill shot down the field, get the huge completion, and then it was, okay, we get it. You're winning the game. And then all of a sudden, Landers fumbles the ball. Maybe, right? That was the that was the official call. I can, in real time, it was like, there's no way this is an actual fumble. But then they go to the review, and I said, okay, it's still really not actually a fumble, but they uphold the call. And you say, okay, well, KU gets the ball back, but they're still down 15. Like, this is still a team down 15 with, I think, 238 left on the clock who has not been able to move the ball and score points at all, at least the way that we've expected to. And then all of a sudden, it was the Kansas offensive old. It was the way we saw them move the ball in the first drive. It was the way we've seen them move the ball all season long. All of a sudden, 
Jalen Daniels was back, right? That Jalen Daniels was back. All of a sudden, Andy Kotelnicki, this inventive, unpredictable play caller, was back. Arkansas was playing on their heels, and you had him kind of in an advantageous situation. Best drive of the game. March right down the field, score a touchdown, eight-point game. And I actually loved the, the the call to not go for two there because if you do go for two, I know the analytics community would say, like, at least you know where you're at. It's like, you know, your mindset works here a little bit. Like, I want a team that's out there playing knowing that they've still got a shot to win the game. Not a team that just went for two and now knows they need to score two more times, which is just not going to happen. You get the onside kick. Unbelievable. Uh, Arkansas's special team coach probably needs to be uh, reevaluated for not having anyone back there for the... Like, did you not expect Kansas to go for the onside, and if you thought the previous drive was the best drive of the game for the Kansas offense, they go four plays, 50 yards, and then you felt like, what the fuck did I just watch? How? This game was over two minutes ago. Two minutes ago, the game was over. Over, over. Not like, I'm done watching this, I'm fed up over, right? Because there are multiple types of over. There is the, I can't believe they just punted. I'm done with this game. They're not even trying over. There is a, oh, wow, bad start. The other team's up three scores over. Then there's, this team has the ball up 15 with three minutes to go. No, it's actually over. And then you fast forward two minutes and Kansas is going for two for a chance to tie it with 41 seconds left. There is nothing like college football. There is nothing like this sport where you you sit there and you watch this game and you feel every single benchmark on the spectrum of emotions from this team isn't ready to play, they're unprepared, they're outmatched, to holy shit, this team never gives up, they have more fight in them than the other team, they want it more, They are executing at an extremely high level. It gives you everything. It gives you the opportunity for all outcomes at every point in the game, regardless of what the score was one minute ago. There's really nothing like it. The NFL is great. The NFL is bigger, is king, always will be, but there is nothing like college football. So then you get to overtime, and we can get into the play calling, and we can get into all of it, but like, let's just look at the final play there. And I want to know this, like, how much football do you watch to the point where you know exactly what happens from first overtime to second overtime to third overtime? Because I watch a lot of college football. I don't see a lot of triple overtime games. And when you do get to that third overtime, sometimes I do have to remind myself, like, okay, like, let's let's go through this again. What exactly happens from second over? Like, there's a reason they show the graphics on TV every single time. There's a reason why every time a college football game goes to overtime, they have to put the graphic on the screen that explains the rules to you because it is a little bit confusing. I wonder if Jason Bean knew that that was one play. I wonder if Jason Bean knew that that was a one and done. A lot of people were were upset that Andy Kotelnicki chose to take the ball out of Jalen Daniels' hands there. And I get it because Jalen was so good down the stretch. 544 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions, and the guy who looked a little flustered, looked like maybe he was a little too amped up for the game in the first half, was gone, and the guy who looked like a Heisman candidate was back. 
down the, the late stretches of that game and into overtime. Like, Jalen Daniels was absolutely cooking, and Arkansas had no answer for him. But I do think it's difficult. If, if it, in evaluating Andy Kotelnicki, a guy who everybody, like if you like Andy Kotelnicki, if you watch Kansas football, and if you think about all the praise that has been heaped on him this year and why he has gotten that praise, it's been because he is unpredictable. He puts defenses in, in sort of situations where he can leverage what they're expecting to see against them. He's been so good at it. He has been universally lauded all season long. And if we praise him for doing that, and if Kansas football has been one of the elite offenses in the country and has gotten to this point in the season because of that characteristic, is it fair then to criticize him for tapping into that same strength in a moment where you need two points to win the game or to continue to try and win the game? Is that necessarily fair? I'm, I am fully in the camp of everybody gets to be criticized. Right, I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're a Hall of Famer. You are allowed to be second-guessed. You are allowed to be criticized. Andy Kotelnicki is certainly no, not impervious to that. But we praise him all year for being inventive and for having misdirection and confusing defenses. So then we criticize him for doing that at the end of a game, where you're going for two for the sixth time. For the sixth time. You know, I don't do this often, but I was... I don't like giving people... I don't like giving people the, the credit for putting stupid tweets. Like, well, I'm, I'm not even going to say stupid. But somebody on Twitter was talking about how, you know, most coaches don't have six. <laughs> most co- If they have six two-point conversion plays... They only have six. Like, there's not a seventh or an eighth. And I saw a tweet online that said, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. You're a head coach. Give any fan one day and they'd come up with 10. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know if I could come up with one. I don't think I could drop one play uh, to go for two there. So if you got to the point where you're taking the ball out of Jalen Daniels' hands, it's not because you really wanted to. It's because it was the only play left in the playbook. And you could say, okay, well, then run a different one a second time. Like, listen, they scored 53 points. They scored 53 points. And we're going to sit here and say, yeah, but the play calling, though. Listen, I'm not here to throw Jason Bean under the bus, but he threw the ball into the fucking stands on a play where you had to have two. Like, you had to have it. Whether that's situational awareness or you shouldn't have had the ball in his hands, there was a guy wide open. The play worked. The execution wasn't there. And we sort of do this, right? This is what we do in all sports, but specifically football, because we have seven days in between each game. So it gives us a lot of time to break it down. But when your team loses, all we do is divvy out blame. Every single week. NFL, college, high school, doesn't matter what team you're talking about, doesn't matter how good they are, what level they're playing at. It's all we do, and it's all we've ever done. And I get it, that's the game. Your team loses. Whose fault was it the most? That's all we do. We do different variations of that question. And that's the, I mean, that's it, right? That, that's the business that we're in. That's, the, that's how sports work. You lose. Whose fault is it? But whose fault is it the most, right? Okay, so it was 70% this guy's fault, 30% this guy's fault. And that's what this whole conversation about Kansas football is going to be, right? 
it's going to be, well, it's it's a little bit Jason Bean's fault, but it's more so the play caller's fault for even putting him in that position. Would I have liked to see Jalen Daniels have the ball in his hands? Of course I would. But how many plays did they run at that point? Seriously, Jalen, 56 passing plays, 34 rushing plays. I don't know how many plays you think a team expects to run in a game, but you're not preparing to go to triple overtime. Jalen was great, probably would have made that throw, but then again, I don't scheme plays up. But let's take a 30,000-foot view. Like, Let's backtrack to this entire game, though, because if we're going to play this blame game and say, how much blame does Kotal Nicky deserve? How much blame does Jason Bean deserve for not executing the play? Let's back the whole thing up here and look, about, and look at this game, right? Because at that point, in overtime, Arkansas had run five plays. 19 yards, 6-yard touchdown, 5 yards, 20-yard touchdown, then a 2-yard, two 2-point two conversion. So at that point in overtime, 5 plays, Arkansas did whatever they wanted. So we could play the blame game. KU also gave up 55 points. And yes, it was triple overtime, but it was 55 points. They gave up 38 in regulation. So we can talk about the offense, but there were plenty of opportunities for the defense to just get one stop, right? Not, not a ton. I'm asking you to hold them below 30, but can you just get one more stop? Can you get one stop in overtime? Arkansas did whatever they wanted for most of that game. The reason why they were able to build the lead is they looked like a bunch of men playing against little kids. Go back and watch some of those plays from the first half. K.J. Jefferson just absolutely running over Kansas defenders. For the first two and a half hours of that game, it felt like, oh, this is where Kansas is still at as a program. Because this is a 6-6 six and six middle-of-the-pack SEC team that looks like a bunch of monsters running against a bunch of Juco kids. That's what it looked like. Little kids trying to... It was like the, the game from the Little Giants. It was like, these guys, they don't belong on the same field. Like that picture of DK Metcalf in, in high school track against that shrimpy little, like, 5'6", white cross-country dude. Like, wait a minute. These guys are on the same team? They're the same age? And they play the same sport? Like, they compete against one another? Arkansas looked like a bunch of grown-ass men playing against little boys. And here's the other thing. If you watch enough... If you watch enough college football and you're watching these bowl games every year, this is not a new trend. Watching like a 6-6 six and six Big 12 team going up against a 6-6 six and six SEC team and then immediately noticing the differences between the style of play that wins in each opposing conference. Like, if you want to use misdirection and spreading defenses out and stretching the field horizontally and moving guys around in different packages, like what Kansas does, right? That can work when the other team can't just line up across from you and say, we're bigger and stronger and we're not going to let you do shit to us. We're going to push up front and dominate you at the line of scrimmage and we're going to kill the play before it's over. And that's what Arkansas did. Like there were, don't get me wrong, there were plays for Jalen to, to make in the first half. Like when this game got out of hand, we can talk about the second half. Stat line, really good, right? You finish with over 500 yards. You finish with five touchdowns. It's really tough to look at that and say, wow, Jalen had a bad game because he didn't. But if you want to like, look at the full scope 
and try and figure out how how was Arkansas able to build such a massive lead? How were they up 31 to 13 at halftime? How were they up 38 to 13 after their first drive in the third quarter? It's because, well, Jalen did miss some throws. Like that was not the most flawless executed game from him. But the other side of that was on both sides of the ball, Kansas got bullied up front, bullied. Their offensive line had absolutely nothing. They gave him nothing with the run game. And that's what I thought Kansas was going to be able to do. I thought Devin Neal had a big game. We didn't even notice Devin Neal, who at times looked like KU's best weapon this year. He was invisible. They got Kai Thomas involved a little bit in the past game, but the run game was non-existent for Kansas because they had no push up front. And on the other side of the ball, it was it was rough to watch. It's so demoralizing to watch a team move the ball on your defense the way that Arkansas moved the ball in Kansas. Just, I mean, Moses parting the Red Seas. All seven-foot gaps, like anywhere they wanted to go. And even when Kansas would close in, there was that one play in the first half where they had K.J. Jefferson down and then he rips it off for like a 30-yard run. That was this game. It was even when you got him, you didn't get him. Because if you happen to get pushed, if you happen to win the line of scrimmage, or if you just happen to have everybody covered downfield, you weren't big and strong enough to tackle him. That's why it just felt so agonizing. Like, we, there's no plays to be made because even if you make a play, they're better than our guys. And you didn't say that very often in Big 12 play because you didn't face a lot of teams that are built the way that an SEC team is, built the way that even a bottom feeder SEC team like Arkansas is. That, to me, was indicative of where Kansas is at as a program. Like, they shouldn't even be here. They shouldn't even have been in that game. Arkansas should have run away with that game. They should have put them away. And the final score should have been something like 38-20. to Right? It should have been a beatdown. It was a beatdown. Until a couple of things happened that went Kansas's way. The first was that fumble that easily, easily... Could have been called down by contact. Game over, right? One thing changes, game is over. How about targeting at the goal line? On the two-point conversion? If that if that was Kansas, right? If that was Arkansas with the ball, get a stop, game over. You could call it. Tell me how you're reacting to that. Because I looked at both of those plays and thought, hmm, Hawks got a little lucky there. And they had to have both of them, and they got both of them. Now, Kansas usually doesn't get those types of calls, but they had both of them when they absolutely had to have them. We can go back and forth about like whose fault it is. Should Kansas have even been in that game? Should they have even been in a position to go to overtime or to go to three overtimes? A, but that's the thing. You can go back and forth with it. Kansas, the defense got four three-and-outs in the second half. Four three-and-outs. I don't care if it was Arkansas taking their foot off the pedal. They got four three-and-outs. This is a team that overachieved. This game was a microcosm of the entire season. Should have never been in a chance to win in overtime. Should have never been in a bowl game. This team was supposed to win two games. And they showed you, at least from a physicality standpoint, going up against Arkansas, that they're still not on the level where they look like other major college football programs. 
and in, that may be a loose uh, that may be a loose application of the term major, right? But Arkansas as a program is still far beyond where Kansas is. Like Kansas should aspire to be like Arkansas. And like physically, you've got a ways to go before you're putting the athletes on the field that the average SEC team is. And maybe you'll never get there. But that's why I look at this game where you lose by two and you finish the season with a losing record. And after such a promising start, and you lose seven of your last eight games, and it kind of feels like opportunity missed. But this team was never supposed to be here. They overachieved, and they gave you the game of the year. I would be hard-pressed to imagine there will be a better college football game played in these remaining bowl games over the next week or so. That was as exciting of a sporting event as you'll possibly get, and you have to feel good about the direction of this program. That team fought tooth and nail to stay in that game, and they damn near won it in a game they had absolutely no business winning in a season. They had absolutely no business achieving what they achieved. I think that's a win. It just may not feel like it today. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you haven't, please subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. Uh, It helps. Every bit helps. And don't you think you should be helpful? Don't you think that that's a good thing to be? And don't you think that you should think more about that? Uh, Wherever you're listening, whether you're on your drive back from Memphis or, you know, if you're stranded at the airport, if you're... You got your AirPods in and you're watching the the lady across the terminal from you, you know, eat some uh, Parmesan dusted Annie M pretzel bites. Wherever you're listening, I appreciate you so much. Safe travels. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.